0: Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Stephanie Vadalaro, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation. Stephanie shares her journey from the Florida Keys to Washington, D.C. and all the great resources the foundation offers the boating and angling community. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. But before we move on to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like this episode, please subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice. It's the best way to get all of our interviews and fishing reports as soon as they come out. And once you've done that, if you can leave us a review in the podcatcher of your choice, we'd really appreciate it. And now a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's brought to you by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is tie better flies faster, and they produce the only vice that truly spends. To see for yourself, visit www.nora-vice.com. Now, on to our interview. Well, Stephanie, welcome to the Articulate Fly.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. Uh, I always ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory.
1: You know, that's kind of hard for me, because I'm not sure if I remember the actual experience or the picture, but... (laughs) I grew up fishing um, starting at a very young age on Lake Erie in Ohio, but probably the first time I actually remember going and catching and, and holding the fish in my hands was after my family moved to the Florida Keys and I was about seven years old and we would take out our little center console and, and just catch little mangrove snappers, you know, small fish, easy to catch things. And it definitely uh, got me hooked.
0: Very neat. And uh, when did you move to the dark side of fly fishing?
1: The dark side of fly fishing. Um, Fly fishing is relatively new to me, actually, um, which is kind of surprising because I grew up around it. There's a lot of fly fishing in the Florida Keys. Um, But I just went on my first trip last year in New Mexico, and I caught a fish. I was extremely excited about that. But I did fall in the water and fill my waders. So, there's that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens to all of us.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was an incredibly beautiful day, and it was a great experience, and I, I couldn't ask for anything better, really.
0: Yeah. Very neat. And so can you tell us a little bit about your journey from uh, being a kid in the Florida Keys to getting to uh, work for the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation in Metro DC?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we moved to the Keys when I was seven, and um, you know, growing up there was was unique, which I don't think I realized until I left. You know, most most kids would say, "Oh, you go swimming every day," and I was like, "No, no, I go to school and I do my homework, and we go on the boat on the weekend." But you know, once you leave as a young adult, you really get that perspective of, "Wow, you know, that's that was a very unique place." Um, I think. Like any young adult, I kind of fell away from the fishing and boating a little bit in my 20s, interested in other things, I guess you could say. Um, And I lived in Georgia for a couple of years, and I wound up coming to the D.C. area in 2001. And it wasn't until I uh, met my now husband, who was into boats and fishing, had grown up doing that in Maryland, that I started to really uh, pick it up again. And everything came full circle when in, what year was it, 2006, um, there was a job opening at the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation. And it was the first time in my career where I could potentially, you know, work on something that was connected to both my professional and personal interests. And I went for it and I got it. And here I am almost 14 years later.
0: Got it. And uh, for folks that don't know, you're the senior vice president of marketing and communications uh, for the foundation. What drew you to marketing and communications as a career?
1: Well, I started out thinking I was going to be like the next Katie Couric. (laughs) I wanted to go into news and I did that for um, a couple of years after college and quickly learned that it wasn't really for me. Um, so I turned to marketing and communications as a way that I could still, you know, work with storytelling and work with people in the news and um, a lot of those same topics, but just be under um, different format. It was it was a, a good transition for me. And obviously it stuck because I stayed with it uh, all these years.
0: Got it. And can you tell us a little bit more uh, what being the senior vice president of marketing and communication entails?
1: Absolutely. Um, So for RBFS, our mission is to increase participation in fishing and boating. And the main way that we do that is by running a national marketing campaign uh, to increase the number of newcomers to the sport. And, I oversee um, essentially all of the marketing and communications that go out to consumers, you know, trying to convince them to take up the sport. And I also oversee our corporate communications that go out to our stakeholder audience. um, People like, you know, fishing retailers and manufacturers and fishing guides and others uh, to give them materials to help with their customer outreach.
0: Got it. And can you give us a little bit more around maybe the history of the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation? Like when was it founded and kind of how did it develop and get to where it is today?
1: Yes. RBFF uh, was founded in 1998. And um, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, but I'll elaborate, its organizational mission is to increase participation in recreational fishing and boating thereby supporting the conservation efforts that come as a result of that. And, and we're charged with in, uh, increasing awareness of aquatic conservation at large. As, as you know, you participate in the sport. Um, our anglers, our people who are out there and doing it, actually care about the waters they're playing on. They care about healthy fish and habitat. And one thing a lot of people don't know is that when you buy a fishing license, 100% of those funds actually go back to the individual state agencies where you purchase to do that kind of conservation work. So it's a pretty um, rewarding mission. And uh, things have, of course, evolved over the years. Um, in the first couple of years in RBFF's uh, existence, they had to do a lot of research and a lot of figuring out You know what, what does this look like? How do we do this? And um, building off of that in, I want to say 2003 is when they launched their first national marketing campaign. Um, And it's, it's evolved over the years, the look and feel, you know, the the channels that we use, you know, even just 10 years ago, um, used to be print, TV, and radio. And it would be three months out of the year is when we would do our advertising. Well, in today's world, you know, uh, digital, it's social, it's digital, it's online, it's web content. And, and it's really a 12 um, month campaign.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I always kind of try to tell people you have to kind of build that social capital before you need it. Um, Cause you can't just pop up and say, Hey, I want to tell everybody about this. Cause there won't be anybody listening to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of research that had to be done to determine, you know, who are these people that may be most likely to take up the sport? You know, what, what do they look like? Uh, what media channels do they consume? And that's that's something we research every year because it's constantly changing. Um, but it also keeps the job pretty exciting.
0: Absolutely. And how does the uh, Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation fund its activities?
1: We um, actually compete for our funding, Um Every five years, I don't know if you've heard of something called the Sport Fish Restoration and Boating Trust Fund. Um, have you heard of that? I have not. Okay, it was established um, in the 1950s, and um, it's something that we we are one of the only sports that we are kind of like this pay to play. You know, I mentioned the license dollars before; when you buy your license, it goes to conservation. Um, those funds go into this thing called the Sport Fish Restoration and Boating Trust Fund, along with an excise tax that manufacturers pay on fishing tackle and taxes from boat fuel. And that money, it's a huge, huge, huge fund, like $600-something million. dollars. It gets divvied up between um, conservation and safety organizations to do work to support fishing and boating. We get 2% of that and we bid for it every five years. We are considered the marketing and communications arm for the industry. So it's our job to kind of help fill the funnel with newcomers to the sport, um, supporting growth.
0: Very neat. And excluding COVID-19, what do you see as the greatest challenges, you know, facing participation in boating and fishing?
1: Oh boy, there's a lot of challenges, um, you know, right, right now, excluding COVID-19 <laughs> um, targeting these, these younger audiences. So we do a participation study every year that gives us uh, kind of the lay of the land, who's fishing, who isn't, who are our newcomers and breaks down between, you know, freshwater, saltwater, et cetera. And what we've been seeing um is there's obviously this aging population of folks in fishing, our our baby boomers per se, who grew up fishing, done it their whole lives, but they're starting to fall out of it and starting to cite things like health reasons or I don't have a fishing buddy. At the same time, we need to be filling that funnel with youngsters, but this young group of people are way different, uh, more diverse, Um, They have a lot more things competing for their attention as kids, and they were not necessarily introduced to the sport by their parents or grandparents. So the hurdles for us to get through to them as, hey, pick this activity, um, are a little bit higher. That's a big challenge. And the second thing I would say is um, there, there are a lot of what we call perceived barriers to fishing. And what I mean by that is people think they're barriers, but they're not. Um, there's this impression. Our our sport has this, uh, people think that you have to drive two hours to go to your fishing spot, and you have to spend thousands of dollars on fishing equipment, and it's very technical and hard. And let's be honest, it, it can be, but it doesn't have to be, right? If you're just getting started, all you need is a rod and a reel and some worms from the backyard. So, those are the two major things we have to overcome.
0: Got it. And can you kind of give us an idea of some of the specific programs and resources uh, the foundation has developed to address these challenges?
1: We do a lot of different things to address these challenges. Um, our main one, though, however, is this, this big marketing campaign I talked about. Our brand is called Take Me Fishing, and we also have uh, resources in Spanish on Vamos a Pescar. Um, and we publish on all of our various, you know, website, YouTube, social channels, um, how-to information, how to get started, how to tie knots, what equipment you need. Um, we also provide where-to information so that folks might realize, oh, hey, there's a pond in my neighborhood I can fish. I don't have to drive that cre- that's two hours away. <laughs> and then we also provide um, one click link to all of the state fishing license pages and the state boat registration pages. Those can sometimes be hard to navigate, particularly if you're new. Um, so we want to be able to take folks straight to the page where they need to get started. That's, that's the main way that we um, increase participation in the sports. But falling under that, we also work with state agencies, industry, and federal partners to support their marketing efforts and help them be better marketers.
0: Interesting. And I know, too, that the kind of the one-stop information for licenses and boat registration, you actually have um, easy-to-use um, kind of snippets of code for people with websites, whether you're a shop or a guide or you know, a podcast like mine, to easily be able to get that information on their site to make it even easier for people to find it.
1: We do, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, It's our uh, fishing license plugin. And yeah, anyone can use it. If you have a consumer facing website, it's like you said, a snippet of code, you pop it into your code and boom, you have a one click uh, link to your state fishing license information. We also offer that for our map as well. So if if someone were interested in hosting that on their site, uh, we have that plugin as well.
0: Yeah, and I'll drop links to that in the show notes so it'll be easy for folks to find.
1: Awesome.
0: Great. And I think also, too, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you've also got some um, some programs that are about inclusion, right? Because if I remember correctly, you've got a program to, um, to bring more women into the sport, correct?
1: We do. Um, and thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, so along with um, – you know, trying to recruit these new audiences who are more multicultural, Hispanic, Um, women pose a great opportunity in the industry. Um, A couple of years ago, we launched a women's campaign, Women Making Waves, really to empower women in the sport. Our research was showing us that women make up a huge number of newcomers to the sport every year, but they're falling out at a really high rate after one year. Um, and you dig into the insights and you find that they don't see themselves in the sport. And what I mean by that is they're going to a tackle shop, they're opening a catalog, and they literally don't feel like they're represented and therefore don't feel like it's for them. Uh, So we're trying to change that image and um, help women see that they do belong in the sport And I think a lot of other brands are doing women's programs now as well. So that's super exciting.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, moving to COVID-19, you know, it's painfully obvious that it's impacted every aspect of our lives. And I know you and I have talked about this a little bit uh, before this interview. What trends are you seeing in, in consumer behavior as it relates to boating and fishing that's kind of coming out of the pandemic?
1: It's kind of interesting because when this first thing hit uh, or when it started to really become an issue for us in mid-March, you know, we kind of, we pulled up our metrics, you know, we have a list of metrics that we track and we're like, Oh gosh, you know, what's going to happen. We're not going to meet our metrics this year. And um, we're really seeing the opposite. I think a lot of what's going on with the pandemic, the being home with your family Looking for things to do, looking for things to do close to home and outside the house has really um, given fishing a boost in some ways. Um, Some of the consumer insights that are driving that, you know, uh, we work with um, an agency in Minneapolis called Cole McBoy, and they've been providing us uh, data from Harris Poll in relation to COVID. And, you know, people are, the sentiment is, we don't wanna travel, nobody wants to travel. Uh, vacations are gonna be uh, close to home this year, uh, a lot of camping, RVing, uh, things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And and our web metrics have shown people are seeking out fishing information like never before. We're having record uh, traffic to our website.
0: Yeah, really interesting, too. And, and folks, if you go to the blog on RBNFF's website, they actually are releasing that Harris Poll data, I believe, every week.
1: Yes, that's
0: correct. And you can kind of track. Uh, it's great because it gives you kind of uh, the behavior uh, of the consumer and then the behavior of the consumer as it relates to boating and fishing.
1: Yeah, we um – we felt like, you know, we're using these insights to drive our campaigns. We may as well share these with the folks who, um, who benefit from the work that we do so that we can all kind of figure out what's the next best step. There's insights here about the rise of online retail, uh, summer travel, returning to work and staying relevant in this atmosphere. Lots of good stuff.
0: Absolutely, and to kind of boil all that down, you know what do you see as the challenges and the opportunities uh for the industry in this new normal?
1: Well, I think the opportunity um, is to get new customers into the mix. Um, there's a real desire for uh, phishing information right now let's let's leverage that, let's get new people involved, and that's just more dollars for conservation. I think the big challenge is going to be keeping these folks. Um, Whenever we return to normal, whatever that looks like, or if it's a new normal, (laughs) um, we don't want this to be a one-time experience for them. We want them to have a good experience and we want them to keep doing it. So that retention piece um, is really big.
0: It uh, makes a lot of sense. And what is the foundation doing in terms of creating resources uh, on the industry side uh, to support the industry uh, coming out the other side of COVID 19?
1: Well, um, a few things. We, as we spoke before, we immediately, for our consumer audiences, created uh, a map on our website where consumers can link one click link to all their state agencies to find out COVID closures and information that map for consumers. We've also made available as a plugin for industry. So if anyone wants to take that little snippet of code, put that on their website, uh, then folks, you know, can, can see what the latest is and we're updating that on an ongoing basis. So it's, it's fresh and new. Um, Other things we're doing for industry, as we just mentioned, we're doing the sharing our consumer insights we're getting from Harris Poll. Really good stuff in there. I know I I struggled a little to remember all the details, but really, really rich information about how consumer habits, uh, spending habits, recreation habits and such are changing. And then the other thing we're doing. um, So normally our Take Me Fishing campaign, the advertising campaign would start in April. And initially, we made the decision to push it back. Well, let's launch it in May. Oh, let's launch it in June. And at some point, we went, okay, this message is not going to be relevant. It's not sensitive to what's going on. So we've actually teamed up with um, the National Marine Manufacturers Association and Discover Boating, and we're creating um, a PSA to support the fishing and boating industries to help kind of rebuild for those who've maybe gone out of business um, or are having uh, hardships to to kind of encourage this wave of interest that we're seeing. Uh, It's really exciting. It's gonna be launching on June 15th and then each organization will have its own um, paid advertising assets as well to uh, promote fishing and boating throughout the summer.
0: Very neat. And I think the great thing about the um, state-by-state boating information and license information is, uh, particularly in light of COVID-19, while, you know, things are opening up and people are able to get on on the water, you know, we all have to remember as um, boating anglers that those boat ramps are kind of choke points uh, for social distancing. Yeah. So it's really important, um, you know, to check before you go um, so that you don't, you know, haul your boat to a ramp that's closed.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a little less now than when it first started, but people want information. Where can I go? What's safe? Uh, So that was one of the first things that we put in place.
0: Yeah. And I know, too, that some states close their boat ramps at a certain hour. So there's kind of a little bit of trip planning that is involved so that you don't show up. Everyone shows up at the ramp at the last minute to pull their boats out, too.
1: Definitely. Don't ever assume that things are as they always were. Just check before you go and then you know, all safe.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I've been asking a lot of the industry people I've been talking to recently to kind of think about how they think the crisis, you know, whether it's increased use of technology tools or how social media is employed, you know, how do we, what do we think it's going to look like on the other side in terms of how members of the community interact with each other whether it's more comfort with digital media less interest in trade shows what are your thoughts on that
1: that is an excellent question and i think it's something we're all sorting through right now right yeah i agree um i I think i think this is going to have a profound impact on all facets of our culture and, and life as it is and some of the things like you just mentioned um are kind of uh you know, easy to assume, but I think there's a whole other slew of things that will come out of this that, that we maybe don't even see yet, you know, uh, in terms of how we recreate as, as a family, in terms of how we spend our money and how we travel. Um, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And we're, we're trying to stay on top of it with this Harris poll, but likely to do some more in-depth research um, either later in the year or next year when things hopefully wind down a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine that whatever you come up with, there's a great resource, guys, on the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation. I think it's called, uh, what is it, Resource and Reports or something like that, Stephanie, where you publish all kinds of really great industry information and demographic information about boating and fishing.
1: Yeah, so if you go to our corporate site, which is, I don't think we've mentioned, um, takemefishing.org slash corporate. If you go into our resource. Uh, section. There's uh, research reports. All the research we do, we share with our stakeholders, uh, and you can peruse it in there.
0: Yeah, and which is a great segue because every July... Uh, you release the special report on fishing, which I believe you produce in partnership with the Outdoor Foundation. And for folks that haven't seen it, it, it literally breaks down every component of fishing, like not just fly fishing, but conventional fishing, saltwater, and gives a lot of really interesting insights on kind of, you know, who's fishing, is participation going up or down. Um, Stephanie, we're, you know, weeks away, uh, from seeing that released on the website. Is there anything that you can kind of give us in terms of advanced insights about what we're going to see when we look at the, uh, at the current report in 2020?
1: Definitely. So I can't, um, I don't have all the details at this point, but we have seen some preliminary results and I can say that from our standpoint, um, things look great. Now this is for 2019. So, um, you know, despite all this uh, kind of surge in activity we're seeing from COVID, this was before then, uh, we did see an overall increase in participation. Um, and we saw an increase in some of the groups that we look at that are really important to us to drive participation, which are women, um, Hispanics, and kids. That's the only one. It drops just a teeny tiny bit. And that was kind of surprising to me. Um, however, when you look at the Percentage of population, it's flat as opposed to the actual numbers. So um, good indicators, though, coming out of that report that uh, interest in participation uh, continues to grow.
0: Got it. And, and was the uh, the kids' participation, was that kind of the biggest surprise for you when you reviewed the data for 2019?
1: That surprised me. Uh, another thing that surprised me was... Um, It's no secret we have a retention issue (laughs) in our industry, and we kind of spoke about that a little bit earlier. Um, Last year, in last year's report for 2018, we saw a huge spike in the number of people who fell out of the sport. Um, I want to say it went from like 5.6 million to 9 million. I mean, it was huge. And we were hopeful it was a one-time thing, but unfortunately... (laughs) That number went up again to Mm -hmm. like 9.3 million, I think. Um, There's really a lot of work to do there um, on retaining folks. And it's not something we can control ourselves, but we're trying to at least identify the issues and make the industry aware of them so that we as a whole can can um, stop that leaking bucket. We call it our leaky bucket.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that. And is there any particular kind of segment of the sport that seems to be leading in greater numbers than any other?
1: Well, that's the data we don't have yet for 2019. But I can tell you that in 2018, because we had that big spike, we we really dug into it. And what we um, were kind of surprised, were kind of not surprised to see is that it was the older generation of fishing participants Um, and we started to see we always asked you know what are the reasons you didn't go fishing and some new categories were popping to the top like health reasons and I lost my fishing buddy Um, so that was concerning to us and it'll be interesting to see when we get the full data if that trend is continuing or if something else is driving it
0: uh, very interesting. And and before I let you go this afternoon, can you let folks know the best way to take advantage of all the resources that the foundation produces and kind of how to keep track with what's going on on a day-to-day basis?
1: I would love to. Um, if they would visit, visit our corporate site, org slash corporate. Um, we have uh, links in there to sign up for our newsletter. It's called NewsWave. It goes out once a month. Uh, Or if you prefer to receive information um, more instantly than that or in a different way, you don't like newsletters, uh, we're on LinkedIn, Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation. We're also on Twitter at RecBoatFish. So uh, lots of different ways to follow. Uh, We put out uh, updates on an ongoing basis.
0: Well, fantastic. Well, Stephanie, I really appreciate you uh, taking a little bit of time to chat with me today.
1: It was great. Thanks for giving me the time.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review in the podcatcher of your choice. And again, a shout out to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Norvice. Check them out at www.nor-vice.com. Tight lines, everybody.